This is Football CFB, the home of unique football content. I never told you You scared off the vultures I never told you You scared off the ghosts living in my head That lay lonely in the dirt That to say that I'm joined on Football CFB today by Simon Church. Simon played for Reading for many years, also the spell in Scottish football at Aberdeen, played with Charlton, MK Dons and a few others, and also represented his country in no less than 38 occasions. First of all, Simon, thanks for joining me. No, no worries at all. The, the first thing I want to talk about, I want to talk about your Wales career. I, t- I talked there about the 38 caps. Just describe, though, what it was like in that qualifying campaign for Euro 2016 because getting to a major tournament for, for any player in any nation is just an absolute incredible achievement. Yeah, it was, a, it was an amazing uh, achievement. I, I was quite lucky enough to, to have a number of campaigns throughout the years leading up to that. So we experienced what the campaigns were like in a World Cup qualifier, European quali- uh, uh, qualifiers. Um, so we kind of gained gain experience at each time and each time we, we just weren't good enough. We never got anywhere near qualifying. And, you know, what happened previously with Gary Speed and Chris Coleman come in, um, we finished, finished the, uh, the campaign and we thought this, the Euro campaign, this, this is our time. We've all been together for a long time. Um, so yeah, it was it was a perfect perfect campaign, and and to be involved in something like that was was a dream come true. In terms of playing for Wales, the obvious question is to ask about the likes of Gareth Bale, Aaron Ramsey. Those guys have went on to be superstars in the global game of football. When when they played for Wales, was there any ego at all, or did they fit in seamlessly with the rest of the boys? Yeah, no, it's it's absolutely fine. As, as we said, we grew up playing together the whole we had a, a very young group um that was that was together for a, a good number of years so we we're very used to each other's company each other's playing styles and obviously like you said we had players that are playing at the elite uh premier league champions league and obviously myself at the time i was playing in the championship and you know we just had such a good group which built from the under 21s all the way through and like you said when you're playing with with top quality players your your standards and your um, you know your your whole technique goes up. Uh, your whole game rises to to try and keep up with with those around you. In terms of playing international football, what's it like when you make your international debut and when you hear the national anthem for the first time? Because I always think that must be the pinnacle of so many players' careers. Yeah, it, it came at a time where things were moving really quickly. Um, uh, for me personally, uh, I got a letter. I, I can always remember John Toshak sent me a letter. I was doing really well for the under 21s, scoring some important goals. I was captain a few times. And yeah, I, I was doing well for my club. And he sent me a letter to the training ground. I was at Reading at the time. And, and because he didn't have a mobile phone. Um, so he sent me a letter uh, asking me to meet up with the first team squad and, and be involved. It was against Estonia. And he put me on for about half an hour and after that I managed to kind of start every game and 
um, for a long time. Uh, so it was, a, it was a great experience. And, and like you said, uh, at the beginning, it was we weren't we weren't doing as great, and there wasn't as many fans coming. Um, we had about three thousand, four thousand fans at the time uh, at home. And then obviously, the, the better we did, and the longer it went on, uh, moved to the Cardiff City Stadium, and, and we were filling that out every every single time. So really great atmosphere, and I'll I'll, I'll never forget those those moments playing for Wales. Real really proud moments. You mentioned the impact that Gary Speed and then Chris Coleman had on the national team. I just want to ask you about Gary because a man who obviously his life ended far too young, an incredible person, an incredible coach. Just just describe what it was like working with him because he had such a positive impact in that Wales team. Yeah, he did. And and no disrespect to John Toshak and the team. Um, I had an amazing time with them. They gave me the opportunity, but I feel like it, it, it run its course, and and when Gary came in, it, the professionalism t- was so much higher. He brought in specialists um, for nutrition, your recovery. We were analysing other teams, analysing ourselves in in much bigger detail, and and like you said, just man management. I mean, for myself, I was still quite young, and he had an amazing career. Someone I looked up to in the game, and for him to put your his arm around you and just say what you could improve on say what you've done well, uh, his plans about what, what, where he sees you in the team. It, it was great. And I think from that moment on, it's, it changed. And um, the, the fundamentals around what he brought in uh, stuck, stuck all the way through. You mentioned the fact that it stuck all the way through. Chris Coleman replaces him in terms of going into the Euros. How nerve-wracking is it when you're playing your football and there's a major tournament coming up and the speculation is who's going to get in the squad, who's not, because I imagine as a player and for you as a striker, it, it must be tense because you want to make sure you're on that plane. Yeah, it, it's very tense. I mean, at the start of the campaign, I think I played the first three or four games uh, and then I got injured, dislocated my shoulder in, in one of the Wales games after after 30 seconds. And after that, I, it was hard. I think I was out for four or five months. It was hard for me to get back into the starting team I was coming on now and again after after becoming fit again and it was it was it was tough and at the stage uh at that time I was at MK Dons we were we were at the bottom of the championship uh struggling to score goals no one was playing well um and I had to make the decision to kind of leave just just to ha- give myself the best opportunity of getting in the world squad because that's that's all I cared about as I said at the time I, was, I played for Wales for about seven seven years and this was a once in a lifetime opportunity, and I wasn't allowed, I wasn't going to let that kind of pass me by. Um, so I moved to Aberdeen, had a had a great spell at Aberdeen, uh, scored some goals, and I think that kind of cemented my my place. But like I said, I was always looking over my shoulder and always concerned that that I might not get that call up. In terms of preparing for a tournament like Euro 2016, how does the manager, how does Chris Coleman prepare the group? Because you hear lots of pros who have played over the years in tournaments talk about it's a big challenge when you go to an international tournament because of the nature of being away for such a long time. How did Chris handle that with the group and how were the group going into the tournament? Because we all know the incredible tournament that Wales had getting to the semi-finals, but going into the tournament, were you confident? How did they prepare the group? Yeah, I think just just from throughout the campaign, we, we always 
had the same training camp. We always knew what was going on. As I said, the, the setup and the staff around were fantastic. We had, you know, top quality nutrition, recovery, um, and uh, analysing the, the game and the opponents. And we kind of kept that all the way through. And I think just because we qualified for the first time in, in such a long time, I think it was just adrenaline, excitement. No one knows what's, what, what to expect. And we were confident because of the campaign we had in the qualifiers. We knew that we could hold our own uh, outside of our camp. A lot of people had written us off and just say, you know, we're just going to enjoy it. We're there for a good time, make up the numbers. But we, we have good quality players and we knew that. And we knew as a team we were very, very strong. Um, so we, we wanted to take it game by game. And we always said that we never looked past the, the next game. And um, we carried that on and just kept picking up results. I mean, I think it was a combination of, of just excitement to be where you are, the fans that, that, that turned up and the atmosphere and just being there. We were away for seven weeks, but we were such good friends off the pitch and, and such a good team. And, and Chris Colm created an amazing environment that, that all you wanted to be is, is part of that. You mentioned that environment to be part of it and you you think about that campaign as a whole, getting to the semis as we talked about. I mean, the 3-0 win over Russia, the game against England, obviously Slovakia in the group stages as well, getting Northern Ireland in the knockouts, beating Belgium. I mean, describe the Belgium game in particular because they were ranked as one of the top sides in the world. They are the top team in the world now and they were expected to beat Wales, let's be honest, but you certainly did not hold up against them, 3-1, and an incredible performance. Yeah, no, I've got to say, to this day, that's probably one of the best performances I've, I've ever seen or been part of. Um, we were quite fortunate enough to have them in the, in the group, so they knew what to expect. And as soon as we knew that we were going to play Belgium in the, in the quarterfinals, they, a few of the other players, obviously, were teammates of, of them, and they had a few texts, and they... They were concerned that they got us. So they knew exactly what they were coming in, in for. Um, and we, we prepared like any other game, like, like we did throughout the whole campaign and, and while we were there. Um, and yeah, to go a goal down in the way we did was a huge, huge setback. Like you said, a lot of people had written us off. Um, but to come back in the, in the way we did and the performance and the goals we scored was just incredible. An incredible tournament. Getting to the semi-finals, obviously Ronaldo and Portugal end up just being a bit too strong in the end. But how proud were you all of your achievements? And what was it like coming back to Wales to a hero's reception? Because you were everyone in the UK, I think, I can speak for Scotland anyway, were, were cheering you on. It was just an incredible, incredible time. Yeah, I think, to be honest, uh, straight after the game, it, it was quiet. We were, we were really, really disappointed because we believed that we had enough to get us through to the final, but it wasn't until uh, probably two days after where we were on, our, on the plane back, back to Cardiff, where we all kind of took a moment, looked back and seen what we achieved. And it wasn't until we landed into Cardiff, we had no idea. We went straight to the uh, centre, to the castle, and we just looked over the castle and there were hundreds of thousands of people there and um, just, just supporting us and uh, we didn't realise what an impact it had on the country and, and like I said, other countries as well that were supporting us. I think it was a great spectacle for, for football fans all over to see uh, an underdog 
so to say, do as well as, as we did. And again, just to be part of that and, and the memories were, were really, you know, uh, once in a lifetime stuff. You mentioned the fact it's once in a lifetime. In terms of your career after Euro 2016, you retwi- retired from the game very early in the sense that you retired at the age of 29. Was that due to injuries? Just describe your thought process behind all that because it was a big shock at the time. Yeah, I, I mean, I'd always struggled from about the age of 21, 22 with, uh, with recovering from games and training. I always was carrying something. Uh, but I was, I was never the type of, of person or player to kind of miss training or, or miss games because of little niggles. I always wanted to, to be on the pitch. And I, I love football and, and to, to, you know, do what you love. I don't want to miss out the chance. And everyone's looking to take your place so it just built up over a number of years where I was really struggling especially at the Euros there was times where I was warming up and I was it sounds crazy but sometimes I remember against Northern Ireland um, I was really really struggling before that game I don't know what it was I think my body was just tired Uh, I was in so much pain with my hip and I was warming up and I was thinking please don't put me on because I don't know if I can if I can do it Um, Luckily, we won the game. I didn't have to come on, but the semi-finals was, was just incredible and obviously got a run out. That was on pure adrenaline. But when I came back, uh, I knew it was just a ticking time bomb. I didn't realise it would be this early and I thought I could manage it for a, num- for a couple more years. But as soon as I come back from the Euros, I went to Holland and we were playing on AstroTurf pitch and it, it seemed to have a real accelerated effect on my hip. And I can remember playing against finals. Um, away uh, and we just I took a shot outside the box and I, I felt my my hip completely go and I thought that's it I've kind of pushed it too far and after that it was just impossible for me to get back I thought um, you know I did my rehab in Holland it probably wasn't the best rehab I had um, and then I didn't play again that season and and once you don't play for six months, it's it's really hard to get back into that on a full-time basis. So I was training by myself. I was training with professionals, but I wasn't training in a, in a first-team environment with other players and doing functional football training. Um, so it took its toll and I was failing medicals everywhere. Uh, and then eventually when I did get back into the scum warp, I kept picking up injuries, same as Plymouth. Um, Again, probably a bit of lack of care as well and professionalism from 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 them. Um, but it didn't help the situation. And again, I say it wasn't until I saw the surgeon where the surgeon said, do you know what, it's probably probably best for you to pull the plug. And something that I, I wasn't looking forward to and never thought would come this early, but I did think at some stage it probably would be uh, get the better of me. In terms of that process, Simon, you're struggling with injuries. You, in your head, you've got all the ability. You've still got it. You know what you want to do, but your body's just breaking down. How tough was that, both physically and mentally, towards them? Yeah, me- mentally, mentally, it was really tough. I mean, <clears throat> to come off the back of playing at the Euros um, and to be part of that, playing in the semi-final of the Euros, you know, you think, right, this is my platform. I'm going to kick on from here. And, and things happen and, and factors happen and um, mentally it was tough to kind of go abroad, be injured after four games, spend the whole 
whole year abroad, away from my family, str- struggling. I was, I was really sore. My rehab wasn't going well. I wasn't able to play a single minute uh, of the rest of that season. And to come back and, and have clubs saying, no, you haven't played for, for you know, a year. We're not going to sign you. We've looked at your hip. It's not great. We don't, we don't want to take the risk. Things like this, it, it does. It just knocks your confidence. It, it wears you down and it takes the offence when you, when you come home because all I wanted to do is get back on the pitch and start playing. And I still had the, the adrenaline. I, I still felt something like, it, you know, I've got a lot to prove. And I've still got a lot to give, but once I did get back in the footballing environment, I, I got in, I got very frustrated, like you were saying before, about my my mind knows I can do something, but my body won't allow me to do it. And it was it was proving really tough. I still felt I could I could uh, have some kind of in, influence, but possibly it wasn't managed in the best way, and and uh, load of different factors. Um, were were in place where it it was cut short very very early. To rewind now back to the very start of your career, um, in terms of getting into to football, you you come through initially at Wickham and then you get spotted by Reading. I mean, just what was that like in the sense that you were you were a young kid who was very talented and spotted by one club and then very quickly while you're still young move on to another. Yeah, I mean, at the time, you don't think anything different. Uh, I, that was my local club, Wickham Wanderers. Um, I was I was with them from the age of eight or nine, um, and I was doing well. I was doing well there, but you never think, you know, anything else could happen. I had a few. Uh, I can remember a few managers always used to say, "Oh, we've got so and so watching you," but but nothing ever came of it. And then, yeah, I can remember playing uh, playing against Cambridge for Wickham, and I scored a hat trick. Or, something like that I think it was I scored four and then I had a phone call about um, they've agreed a deal for me to move to Reading and I had no idea at the time I was 14 uh, so they had a, uh, a, a deal agreed with Nathan Tyson who was in the first team at the at the at the time um, so yeah I mean for, for me from what I can remember what I, what I know it, I was just there right you, you're moving to Reading and uh, so I played Cambridge away and then the next game I was, or a couple of games in, I was playing against Arsenal at Highbury uh, in the under-14s and I just thought this is a huge step up and this is this is where I want to be. And yeah, things progressed from there and I kind of started to believe that, you know, I should be, I, I, I've owned the right to, to kind of play at this level. When you get the move to Reading, how was it different to, to Wickham in terms of standards? Because obviously at that time, Reading were being quite ambitious in the championship and looking to get into the Premier League. Yeah, uh, at at that time when I was I was too young to kind of realise the the um, you know the setup of the first team and and how they how they do things. I was just all I known was um, with the academy at Wickham Wanderers, which to be honest at, at the time was a very good academy. They did everything right as well as they could, but making a step up to Reading, you could just tell there was a, there was a couple more staff, the way we travelled. Um, the teams we were playing against was a huge difference. I, I was playing against you know, Man United and Arsenal and Chelsea instead of playing against Luton and Cambridge. and That was a huge factor. You know, I could go back to my friends and say I'm playing against 
these these kind of teams, these are the teams that I want to play against. And but my performances were staying the same. I was still doing really well and and scoring goals, especially at the level, it gave me the confidence to kind of go on and uh, and do well. When you're coming through at Reading, Steve Coppel was the manager at the time. What does he say to you as you're coming through, and when does he say to you he wants you to start training with the first team? Yeah, I mean, when I was coming through, I did well in the academy uh, and the youth team. As soon as I hit, uh, signed my first professional contract, uh, he, he pulled me in the office. He said, you know, you're a great pro- prospect for the club. We want you to go and get, gain, you know, first team experience. I had Kevin Doyle, Shane Long, Leroy Lita, Dave Kitson in front of me. So there's no chance of me playing any football at the time at, when I was 18 years old. So... Went out on loan a few times, gained some experience, um, uh, scored a few goals. I was doing well for the under-21s. And I remember I was at Leighton Orient. I was doing really well. I think I was 19 at the time. And I got a phone call to say um, from the Leighton Orient manager to say, I've just read him want you back for the playoffs. So I got a phone call from uh, the manager. He says, I want you in training on Monday. Um, I want you to be involved with us for the, for the playoffs. So he, I went back to training. He pulled me in his office. He said, I'm thinking of, play, of playing you in the uh, in the second leg. So I was like, amazing. Um, How do you feel? I was like, yeah, I'm ready for it. Uh, so he just he stuck me in. Stuck me in. Uh, believed in me. They they watched me a lot. And, you know, to get to, to just be thrown in without kind of, previous experience in the championship to be thrown in the second leg of the playoffs um, was amazing and <clears throat> huge confidence boost and yeah I, I did okay held my own and and from then on I kind of began to, to cement my place in, in the first team. You mentioned there the loan spells now this is something that I'm quite passionate about I think young players especially in the Premier League now I would like to see more of them go out and loan because you went to Crewe, you went to Yeovil, Wickham again, Leighton Orient, Huddersfield throughout the course of your career. Um, obviously Aberdeen as well, which we'll come to later. But when you were a really young player, you were willing to get out there, go and learn your trade and play league football with senior pros. Just how much did that help you for coming back to Reading and being trusted to play in those big playoff games, like you said? Uh, it, it was imperative to to my career for for me to go out and gain that value experience. I mean, my first one was Crew. Um, they were struggling in in League One at the time, and a real footballing background with Dario Guardi and Steve Holland, who's who's the manager as well, he's the assistant manager of England now. And it was an incredible experience for me. I was playing, you know, men's football in front of stadium, uh, in front of fans. Real, real dog fight games as well. Learning very quickly what I can and can't get away with doing. Um, it, it was it was incredible for my development because at the time, again, I was playing in the under twenty ones for Wales and trying to make the the uh, the step up to the first team. And for me to carry on my education to go out and play in you know away at Accrington Stanley, uh, up playing up front by myself and and kind of getting those those experiences were was incredible and like you said now you don't see players going out at 18 year old uh, as 18 year olds going to league one clubs or or even league two clubs it's, it's very difficult I think the way they've changed everything now with the the under 23s I, d- I don't agree with the under 23s to be honest because 
if you're not playing first team football by the age of 18, 19, you've got no chance of, uh, of, of going forward. And clubs, clubs know that. And I think as a, as a player, you, you know that if I haven't played a first team game by the age of 20, I, I can't see me having a, a future career. Not to say that that doesn't happen, but your chances are very slim. You mentioned the fact your chances are, can be quite slim at that point, but the loan spells, as you've talked about, were imperative to your progression. Now, you had some stiff competition at Reading when you returned. You had Dave Kitson at the club, Shane Long. What was it like competing with those guys? And also, who were the big senior pros in the dressing room at that time? Yeah, it was a great, a great atmosphere to, to, to be around. I think things have changed since then. I had, it uh, seems like a lot... Of, we had a lot more respect for, for players and we were told, you know, there was a lot, you could get away with a lot more back then than you can now in terms of, well, it's effectively bullying, but you were quite scared to look a lot of the players in the eye. We had people like Michael Dubry, Graham Murty, James Harper, Lee Sidwell, Leroy Lita, Sonko. We had some big characters in there. So for us to kind of go in there as young uh, unproven players, we had to prove ourselves with them and had to gain their acceptance first before we could gain anyone else's acceptance. And you know, they were quite willing to 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 be very stern with us, but also at the same time to give us the confidence, arm around us if we if we need a bit of help. But the standards were high, and you know, it it was literally if you can't hack it, don't don't be involved. And we kind of we had a good group of players at Reading that we all came through at the same time and we all uh, we all kind of knew what it took to be in the first team and play for Reading as well and we knew as well we'd get our opportunity if we carried on doing what we were doing so it was tough it was very hard and I think things have changed since then we don't have the characters um, in the game as much as what we did when I was growing up and coming through um, the under 23s I mean when we played reserve games we were playing reserve games in front of a couple of thousand people when we were playing against proper first teams I mean we I can remember a reserve game we played against Chelsea and people like Ashley Cole uh, Drogba were playing in it things like that. it's just not going to happen anymore especially with the under 23s it's at training grounds you don't get that experience of playing at, uh, at grounds in front of crowds and I think things have changed since then and I, I think it's, it's kind of gone in a negative way, especially if you're a young player, to get the opportunity to, to break through to the first team. It's, it's proven a lot more difficult. You mentioned the fact that it is a lot more difficult and you're spot on with that, I agree. In terms of um, the, obviously coming through at Reading, the competition we talked about there, you very quickly then start to establish yourself as a Reading player. What was Steve Coppel like? Because I know you worked with him briefly before Brendan Rodgers then came into the club. What was Steve like? And then what was it like when Brendan came into the club as well? Yeah, I mean, Steve Coppel, for me personally, was was great. He's someone who I admired. Didn't have much interaction. Um, you know, he didn't say too much in the training ground. Um, and just to, yeah, just to be involved uh, when he came back, he gave me the confidence to, to kind of, you know, here's your opportunity, go take it. Uh, it didn't say too much to me, but he gave he gave me the opportunity, which was which was the biggest thing. And yeah, we didn't spend too much time together. Um, he moved on, as a lot of a lot of the staff and the players moved on after after losing in the uh, the second leg of the playoffs. But 
yeah, Steve Cropper was a was was a real good person I looked up to and so successful with the club and and obviously gave me my opportunity, so I'll never forget that. You you mentioned the fact that he gives you your opportunity, which as a player you must be always grateful for. You then, as I say, work with Brendan. Now, Brendan obviously managed Liverpool, came close to winning the Premier League there, went to Celtic, won lots of trophies now with Leicester. What was he like at that stage? Because, because he obviously was at a stage of his career where he was quite young and he, he wasn't at Reading for too long. No. And do you know what? I loved every second with, with Brendan. He came in, it was a new, he kind of freshened up the way training was, his philosophy, things around the training, how he wanted to educate his players on how, how he wanted to play was, was just on a completely different level. And I embraced it. As a young player, I loved it. And I think he also loves when players give you 100% and buy into what you're trying to do. And, and for me personally, I did. And a lot of the younger players as well. We had quite a young team um, at the time, so it was, it was quite a tough job. And he he changed he changed everything in terms of philosophy, timings, meetings, nutrition, psychology, everything. And and sometimes some of the players didn't buy into it. Um, and if some of the players don't buy into how we played, then it it was always we were always going to struggle, uh, especially when the older ones or the more experienced ones that we needed at the time um, weren't really on board. It, it was just, it was, it was a tough time for Brendan um, and, and we didn't get the results that we needed. But to be part of that, I was playing consistently with Brendan and I loved being part of that, loved the way he played and loved him as a, as a manager in terms of he would teach me things, he would tell me what I'm not, uh, not doing well, well enough, uh, what I can improve on. And we'd actually sit down and go through it and. I felt I felt like as a manager I could go to him and ask him a question or or be open to saying can you help me with this and what what do you what do you want me to do whereas a lot of that other managers are quite unapproachable um, but his style and everything I, I loved I bought it bought into it was just unfortunate it was it was probably at the wrong time with the wrong players at, uh, at Reading. In terms of his man management and his coaching, everyone that's worked with him always talks about how good a coach he is. What was his sessions like? And, and, and in terms of your relationship with him, do you feel that he really helped you improve as a player? Yeah, um, his sessions were, were incredible. I don't think we, we ever did the same session twice, which was, was just mind-blowing. Every day we had a structure. We knew we were going to train for 90 minutes. Um, he had everything set out, so it was so smooth. We'd we'd train in a in a session for 15 minutes. We'd then have we knew we had a minute to have a drink. Then we'd be back in, and it would just move around so so smoothly. And we we enjoyed it. It was a high high tempo, good quality sessions where we had to be on it every single day. And I loved I loved every minute of it because um, as a young player. I loved football at the time, loved training and loved playing games on the Saturday. And yeah, as a, as a man manager, like I said, I, I learned a lot in terms of, you know, Steve Koppel's style, which what I grew up kind of learning uh, through the academy and, and trying to get into the first team was a lot different to how Brendan wanted me to play, wanted me to play with my, with uh, coming to feet, getting on the ball a bit more rather than running in the channels and, and doing that. So it was it was a great great uh, time for me to learn a different a different side of my game, 
uh, like I said, unfortunately, it wasn't long enough, and and it's a results business, which I totally get. And at the time, we were we were struggling with Redden. You were struggling, as you say. Brian McDermott comes in, quite a quiet man. He seems from the outside. Is is, is that true? Uh, at the at the time, he he was quite good, quite bubbly around the the um, around the club. Everyone knew him. He was our reserve manager before he took the full time job. Everyone loved him. You know, he'd have a, a laugh and a joke with you. Um, really good guy. And yeah, it was, uh, I don't know if it was a surprise that he got the job, but he got the job, and you know, everyone bought into him. He kind of went back to basics, and you know, it it, it worked. It did work. And uh, we we moved ourselves up the league that that year, and then obviously going forward, he stuck to kind of the same principles as Steve Koppel, and it managed to work. We got the players that that could play that way and and understood their roles. Um, totally different style to Brendan, a lot more relaxed. Um, Nigel Gibbs was the assistant manager as well, did a lot of the coaching, who's who's brilliant. Um, but I think what they created was was an environment where the players were such good friends off the pitch and we have such a good group we bought into it and that's why we did so well you mentioned the fact that that the 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 strength of the group is why you do well as a team i mean in terms of the team that was built at reading just just describe the atmosphere and the key players alongside yourself in that team yeah again it was that that year we won the championship um, we had the, the spine of the team was was younger players who come through the academy, and then around us was a mixture of uh, experience and and yeah, I, th- I think it was such a great group that everyone bought into what we were trying to achieve and could be- believe we we could achieve as well. We, we had you know players like Ian Hart come in, Andy Griffin, Joby Joby McEnough, um Jason Roberts come in. It gave us a bit more experience up top. It was, it, we just had some really good players, but also we were such good friends off the pitch. And, and every day we enjoyed coming into training and have a laugh and, and working hard. And we just created this environment where we turned into winners. We, we were never the best team, never had the best quality. And some of our games were horrible to watch, but we'd managed to win 1-0 and hold on to it. And we learned how to do that very quickly. One of the players I really want to ask you about is kind of cult hero of mine when I was growing up in terms of football, Jimmy Kebby. He was just such a talented player. Are you shocked that he never really went on to play at the real top level? Yeah, I mean, he was a, he was an amazing talent and what he did at Reading was, was unbelievable. Um, <laughs> so many times, it, it was some games were quite frustrating because Jimmy's Jimmy, if he's, if he's on it, he would be unbelievable, but sometimes there'll be games where he's not on it and he'd go missing. Um, so I don't know if, if mentally he had it in him to be a real winner, but when when he was on it, he was he was brilliant. Um, whether he had the desire to go on to be a great player, I don't think he did. To be honest, he didn't have. I don't think he had the dedication or or want to go and be a great player that he probably could have been. Um, you know, we we won the Premier League. He played in the Premier League, got relegated, moved for big money, um, and I think that was that was kind of he was happy with that, which was such a shame. But you know, some players are quite content of being where they are, and some players have more ambition to be to be better than where they are. 
another another player you mentioned earlier on was was Ian Hart. In terms of Ian, a guy who obviously we all know what he achieved when he was at Leeds United, obviously played in Spain as well with Levante, but Reading was a real big turning point in his career. It really got his career back on track after a few tough years. Just just how good was he technically? Because I used to just love watching him. Set piece specialist. Uh, I, yeah, I, when we when he signed for us, I think we got got him from Carlisle. I'm pretty sure. Um, yep. And his te- straight away, you know, it's, everyone knew who Ian Hart was and what he achieved in the game. And you know, he was getting on a little bit, so we thought maybe he'd he'd be past it. Um, but his technique and his left foot is something I've I've never seen before. You know exactly what you're going to get with that left foot. Um, the amount of goals he scored for Reading, um, just just with free kicks, penalties, his set pieces were were incredible. And like I said, he, he was he was getting on a bit. Uh, his legs weren't moving as quickly as as they they would back in the day. But and he was he enjoyed himself a little bit more. But his technique was just something like no other. And no, no wonder he achieved what he achieved with with the technique he had. And as a striker, it was a dream to, to be on the end of a cross. In terms of that season, you talked about winning the championship. The team was relentless, as you say. Maybe at times, as you right, say, rightly say, tough to watch, but you get the job done in the end. Towards the end of the season, how frustrating is it for you when when you find out that the club don't plan to keep you on when they get into the Premier League? Yeah, well, at, at the time, I was um, we got promoted... Uh, I think I was second top goal scorer or something. Done, done well that season, got promoted, started pre-season. Um, I think we just brought in one one more striker, which was Pavel Bogromniak. Um, again, I thought I'd be in the frame. Did well in pre-season. Uh, comes to the first game of the season, I was on the bench against Stoke. We drew one all. And then the second game was against Stoke. Uh, it was against Chelsea away. And the manager pulled me and says, um, "I'm going to go for a more defensive bench." And I, I was, I was just, I was just, we had, we had a bit of a disagreement because um, at the time there was a few contractual um, negotiations that that were going nowhere, and a lot of politics behind closed doors were were going on. And when you come from through the academy you're seen slightly different to someone that's been brought in. Um, I felt like I deserved to to have the opportunity of playing in the Premier League. Uh, I was consistent starter for Wales, done well the previous season. Um, they basically tried to tie my hands behind my back and sign a contract. Um, I was quite naive probably as well. At the time, 24, thought I cracked it. Said, no, I'm not having any of this. And it kind of, bit me in the arse. Um, I, got, I got made to, to train by myself and get out of the frame and fell out with a few people at the club, which was such a shame as a club that, that I grew up with. But, you know, football's such a cutthroat, ruthless business. Um, you learn that very quickly. And, and that was probably the turning point for me to kind of realise, you know what, the love of, the love of playing football has been scarred a little bit by everything else that goes on outside of the pitch. In terms of things outside the pitch, just how ruthless is football in that regard? Because you, I, I've talked to lots of players and 
they talk about how the politics of football can can really just put them off the game that they loved as a kid. Yeah, uh, exactly, exactly that. I think I love I, I lost the love for football probably that that year, which is crazy to say. It's a dream come true. I'm a Premier League player, earning you know the most money that I'm that I've ever earned, and I'm probably having uh, the worst season and, and hating football. It's hard. It's hard for people to to hear that, but yeah, I mean, when when your career is is in someone else's hands, whether it's the manager that that likes you or not, whether it's the chief exec that that wants you off the wage bill or wants you gone for another player, whether it's a uh, there's there's so many different factors in football that's that's out of your hands. Um, what you do have in your hands is is what you do on the pitch, and you know some sometimes. It, it doesn't matter what you do on the pitch; it can be taken away from you. So, unfortunately, I learned uh, I learned quite a big lesson uh, in football quite early on. Um, it's such a shame because, yeah, like I said, it's it's such a cutthroat business. But if the club want you gone, um, they can make you train by by yourself or with the reserves, no matter how good you are or what you're doing on the pitch. Uh, and unfortunately, that was that was the case at Reading, uh, and that was also the case at Charlton. You mentioned the fact that the, the cutthroat nature there, and, 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 I, and I agree with you. Something else I'm interested to ask you before we talk about Charlton, and again, you might not want to name names, that's fine. In terms of football and the egos within football, just how just how toxic can, can big egos be within a dressing room? Because you, you must know what it's like, especially when a club gets into the Premier League and there's a wee bit more money floating about. Yeah, I mean, to be honest, the, the boys at Reading, when we got promoted, were, were so good. We we had no egos. We had no kind of clicks. Um, the boys were great. Obviously, money can and and status and playing at the top level will give you some sort of confidence and arrogance with some people. But yeah, to, to, to be honest, in, at Reading that that wasn't the case. It was more a case of of the business side and and the goings on behind behind closed doors, really, uh, at, at a board level and. Yeah, a lot of things were out, out of our hands, but um, yeah, I've been in dressing rooms where you know egos are quite high. Some, some, it's like any any kind of environment. Some people think they cracked it when they when they've done nothing. Some people are arrogant. Some people don't care. They just they just turn up because they get paid to do it. There's so many different characters in football. It's, it's incredible and. Yeah, I, I do miss it, and I, I miss the every day. You know, something something funny is going to happen every day when you go into the training ground, and that's one thing you can't replicate outside of it. In terms of Charlton, after after Reading, why did you choose to to join the club? Because they were a club who's obviously they've had their own turmoils over the years. Some would say they're, they're still having them now. I mean, at the time when you had, as you say, had become a Premier League player, it was an interesting move. Yeah, uh, so at, at the time, uh, so January came uh, when I was at Reading in the Premier League and a few clubs came in, to, in for me, but um, I thought I'd, I'd wait until the end of the season. I might be in a better position. Um, I did have my hands tied behind my back at the time as well. So when when Reading got relegated, um, well, to be, to be honest, Brian McDermott got the sack, Nigel Atkins came in. Um, all all ties were cut by then, so the damage had been done. But he he wanted me to play in the squad, and I wasn't allowed to. Um, so I knew I had to leave Reading at the end of the season. Um, 
but yeah, Reading got relegated and, and I thought, okay, what's my next move? And a few things happened. A few managers got the sack, which, which was unfortunate. Um, I was going to go to a, a, a few championship clubs. And then Charlton came up. Chris Power gave me a ring and he says, I want you to be the number nine. Um, you know, and I thought, do you know what? Takeaway, I had more lucrative offers, but at the time I was 24, um, 24, 25, and I wanted to kind of reinvent my career. I didn't, I didn't play for that whole season in the Premier League. I played seven games and I started a handful for Wales. So I wanted to get back playing consistently and get back to the level that I knew I wanted to. I knew I was still young. And I, I knew I was in a good position with Wales. So for me to, to be the number nine at Charlton, which was, which was a big club, uh, it's got good fan base and, and a good chance for me to play every week and score some goals and, and see what comes of it. And, you know, it started off, it started off okay. Uh, and then the new owners came in and uh, oh, I, couldn't, I couldn't believe what happened, to be honest. You, you mentioned the fact you can't believe that happens with the new owners. Obviously, Chris Pibble ends up leaving the club to be faced by Jose Riga. I mean, just describe the chaos of the club because from the outside looking in, it was just a shambles. Oh, shambles is, is such a good word. It was carnage. I mean, when, when, when there's talk in the, in the club, uh, you know, when I joined the club, I knew the owners were looking to sell. Um, but they had the plans for a new training ground, all this kind of stuff. So I was like, great. When the club moved hands, you could see straight away, Chris Powell was very honest with us, um, especially the, the more senior players. And he said, things, things are going to change. Um, we didn't know how, how extreme he meant by that. But yeah, he, he got the sack, um, bought, bought in these, these guys, changed, changed a lot of board level, and that was the problem. I think they brought in people that had never experienced football before. Uh, certainly didn't understand the dogfight in the championship. And they wanted to bring their own players in. Um, these players couldn't handle the championship. They probably weren't good enough. Uh, and they kind of neglected the the core of the team. Um, we had a lot of good players at the time that all wanted to leave. They sold Dale Stevens to, to Brighton and then Jan Kermigan as well, who, who were two great players, two big players for us. And it, it was just a case of, again, be, being told, you know, you're not, you're not wanted at the club now. We want to bring in our own players. And I was made to train on Saturdays by myself and, and things like this. I still had a, another year after. So foot, football, was, foot, football was just a crazy time, those two years at Charlton. Um, yeah. How how we stayed in the league, I don't know. Um, just the whole environment at the training ground was, was toxic. Um, players ha- hated the the coaching staff, um, the setup, the, how how everyone was being treated, and it's just incredible because no other no other industry um, could you be isolated like that. No other industry could you be told to go and work by yourself, no interaction with anyone else. Um, it was just incredible. So, yeah, I mean, I, I was a, I was a, uh, I was always a very good professional. I never let it get to me. I had, I had my words, uh, as did a few other players, but you know, in one ear, out the other. And unfortunately, it was just, uh, it was, it was a really bad time at Charlton. 
in terms of Charlton, this is the thing I'm desperate to ask you from your real perspective being in there. See, having managers like Riga, and then you had Peters, and then you also had um, Luzon as well. I mean, just see, see those guys, and I'm, I'm not trying to get you to say anything sensational, but did they have any real clue about the championship? Because I just, from the outside looking in, it just, it's just something that baffles me a lot. Um, understanding the Premier League, you might get the pick of all the best coaches in the world and bring in a really top foreign manager, but to get rid of someone like Chris Powell, whose knowledge of English football is extensive, and then go through three managers who had never really worked in English football before they came to Charlton, to me just seemed absolutely bonkers. Well, you said it there yourself, straight, straight from the off, we're, we're struggling, because number one, um, I can't even remember who came in first, I think it was Riga. Number one, no, no one had a clue who... <laughs> any of the players were, what their backgrounds were, where they played, their experience with the Championship or the Premier League or anything like that. It was literally, right, we're coming in, we've been told what we need to do, who we need to play, and that's, that's it. And then when you get characters like Bob Peters come in, who I've, I've never seen anything like it, the, just the standard of training, the just total lack of respect for, for players, um, you cannot have conversations or or, or opinions. Um, guy lose on. I don't know where they got this cap from. Um, he'd never played football professionally or been involved professionally. I don't know what his background. His background was in a completely different industry. And some of the stuff this guy was coming up about, uh, some it was just a different character and. It just—it was just never going to work in the championship. When you're in a dogfight in the championship, you're bringing in players from wherever, and they have no idea who you are or, or what they're up against. And like I said, I, I don't know how we managed to stay up and how how a lot of the players managed to stay sane, let alone the fans. You mentioned the fans. That bless them. They've been hard done by over the years. In terms of the owner, did he ever have any communication at all with the players or was it all, from his point of view, was it all done from afar and by hiring these guys, that was his way of getting the influence without actually being there? Yeah, yeah, he's spot on there. Yeah, we ne we never saw the owner. The owner never wanted to to, uh, to talk to us or, or, or anything like that. They, they, you know, they had their chief executive who, again, experience in football was, was zero. Just didn't understand the culture of the club, um, the fan base, you know, the identity of it, and and what it takes to achieve, you know, collectively to stay in the championship and to to be successful. He thought, you know, I, I don't know what his plans were to be honest when he when he bought it, but um, yeah, to be involved in that, and we didn't even know everything. Um, that that was going on, but to be part of something like that was an absolute shambles. You mentioned the shambles. Is it safe to say towards the end at Charlton you were just desperate to get out of there, considering that it had just been one one disaster after another from the managerial perspective since you got there after Chris left? Yeah, after after Chris Powell left, it was it was a case of within the first. Um, First couple of weeks, I got told, you know, we don't, we, you're not going to play. We need you to get out. We're going to bring in someone else. And I was just like, well, I've got contracts. I'm not, I'm not just going to leave. Um, 
the second season was was incredible. Um, I, I got told at a, a, an early stage that again I was uh, I was not needed. A lot of the other players had left by then. Um, I still had a year, and I was just about to leave in Christmas after I played a Wales game. Um, I think I mentioned it before, and I was set to go to another club um, on loan for the rest of the season. And I dislocated my shoulder, and that went out of the pan, and I was injured for for four months, I think it was. Um, and yeah, for me to get any kind of sniff in in matches was was just non-existent. And again, we were in a we we're in a relegation battle, and uh, yeah, it was it was crazy. We had experienced players um, that were training by themselves on the weekends. And it was just one of those one of those things where it's out of your hands. No matter what I do on the pitch, no matter how hard I work, and I was I was always professional. I always worked hard. I'd always get into training early, do my bits, do my bits after training, be one of the last to leave every single day. Even though I'm not not going to get a reward of being involved on the Saturday, um, it was just how I grew up and my mindset. And I always thought I'd I'd get a chance. And I played a couple of times, scored a few goals. And still, still nothing. So yeah, you're right. By by the end of it, I couldn't wait to run out of the door. What was the craziest thing you saw during your time at Charlton from those coaches? Because as you say, some of their methods were, let's just say, questionable. Um, <laughs> we had Guy Lose on. Um, he had a certain manner about him, where if you. <laughs> It, I don't know. I don't know if it was it was method in the madness or what, or what but he would have um, he would have us a four four two in mannequins on a pitch, and we'd have to run up to a mannequin in the formation, and we had to be two meters away from each other. So it'd be perfect. He'd be perfect for social distancing now, because if you're <laughs> one point nine meters away, he's going to come right up in your face and spit in your face. And say, why are you? And we'd spend 45 minutes running up to a mannequin and being in the correct position to exactly two metres away from each other. And as players, it's not difficult to motivate players as a, as a manager. That's all you have to do. You have to motivate players, make sure they know their jobs, and that's it. But if you're running about trying to shut down a mannequin and looking over your shoulder, making sure your mate two metres away from you, what chance have you got? Well, that sums it up, to be fair. Absolutely bonkers. You mentioned the fact you're desperate to get out of Charlton at that point. MK Dons, Carol Robinson, get up to the championship and, and they want to sign you. Was it a no-brainer to go there with, with, um, <coughs> with Carol, who's obviously a highly regarded manager? Yeah, I mean, at the time, um, MK Dons had a great season in League One. They uh, they scored, I think it was one of the record amount of goals they scored. So when uh, when I left Charlton um, quite early on, they they approached me as, as again being being the main striker. Um, Will Grigg left, Benikafobi left, um, so there's a big void. Um, and yeah, I did I didn't play a lot of football again that that season. Um, so the opportunity to go there, they invited me around the stadium, had a look at the stadium. The stadium's 
incredible, huge stadium. Training facilities weren't weren't great, but you know they sold the dream on the new training ground, which never happens. Um, and then yeah, I kind of thought, you know what, I, I'm going to give this a go again. Carl had a different style, um, stuck to his style, uh, and yeah, I thought, you know, this could be another chance for me to reignite my career. What was it like working with him? Because obviously, with the you maybe talked to him earlier about Wales and the Euros, because the season for MK Dons was had more downs than ups. It was, you, as you said earlier, you had to move on loan to to try and cement that place in the Wales team. Yeah, I mean, I, I knew from from early on he had a rotation system um, for the for the two strikers. Of, we had three strikers at the time, and so the rota- rotation system meant. Um, I'd know exactly what games in advance I'd be playing. So, for example, I'd play two, I'd play one game, uh, one week, come off, come off the bench the next two, and then I'd start the next two games the following week, regardless of results, regardless of who it's against. Um, so, for a striker to kind of go into that, whether I scored or not, I knew I wasn't going to start the next game. It's difficult to get your head around that. I kind of bought into it at the beginning. Um, and realised quite quickly after that that this is this is tough to deal with as a as a player and especially as a striker if you're scoring goals you want you need that momentum and it was difficult and the start the style of play was was how he wanted to play which is fair enough very very tactical um, very possession based but it just wasn't working it wasn't working in the championship I had the experience of the championship. Uh, I wasn't agreeing fully in how we should play. I can I can always remember I had one game where I touched the ball about five times, and I just thought it's it's just not going to happen. We were struggling in the championship. We weren't scoring goals. No one was scoring any goals. We kept losing. We weren't picking up points, and it got to about December. And I think I was involved in a few few of the Wales games. I think I played a few of the Wales games, and I spoke I spoke to. Um, I spoke to Chris Coleman and I said I, I feel like I need to move I feel like I need to get out, out of MK Dons because it's not going to give me the best opportunity to, to be in you know the Euro squad because to be on, to be 100% honest that's all I cared about I knew MK Dons weren't going weren't to win anything we weren't going to get in the playoffs the target was to stay up that's not that's that's okay motivation for some, but for me, my motivation was to get in the world squad and play in the Euros. Um, so I took it on upon myself to say, I need, I need to get out of here, I need to leave. They wouldn't allow me to go to another championship club. So um, I was quite fortunate early on that Derek McInnes gave gave me a ring and said, I'd love you to come and play our first games against Celtic. You know, we, this is the closest the title race has ever been. We'd love you to be part of it. And for me, um, did I want to go and play in Scotland? No. Um, did I realise how big the opportunity was for Aberdeen to to compete with the title race? No. Did I have any idea about Scottish football? No, I didn't have a clue. Um, but I thought, you know what, I've got to do what I've got to do. And I spoke to Chris Coleman about it. He said, go for it. You've got to do, you know, you've got to do what feels right for you. And I took the gamble. I took the gamble. Um, I wasn't allowed to leave until MK Dons brought someone in. So it was on deadline day, I think it was. 
uh, in January, uh, moved up there, and then yeah, on the, my first game was against Celtic, and luckily I scored the winner there, so it went quite well. From there. <laughs> you mentioned the fact your debuts against Celtic, you get the winner, um, great start for you as well. You mentioned there about Scottish football and not really having an interest in it or or wanting to come up. Did the standard surprise you when you came up to Scotland? Because obviously down in England, this, the game can get a lot of stick, but there's a lot more quality in the league than than, than I think people realise. Yeah, I think it's again that's that's no disrespect to the league, but I just wasn't aware of you know the the standard or the teams, or I don't feel like the need to watch it on the on the weekends leading up to to me going there and. Like I said, I, I had no real idea what to expect. Um, but yeah, as soon as I got to Aberdeen, you know, it was a real professional club, nice stadium. They really looked after me, me and my family, in terms of providing everything for us, looking after us, flights, travel, accommodation, everything. Um, so we settled in quite quickly. My missus and my, I had two young kids. Well, I have two young kids, but two young kids at the time. They absolutely loved it there, and they we seemed to fit in really well. And I'll go back to about the changing room. I went into a changing room that had such a good environment, and it's not rocket science in football. If you create a good environment, you're going to get good results. And that was the case in Aberdeen. I fit straight in. And one important thing anywhere you go is is to make a good first impression. And I think I I think I did that for the fans of Aberdeen, and also. Uh, to the to the manager and the teammates as well. You mentioned the the job that you did for your teammates for the club. What was Derek McInnes like with you? Because he's a manager, as you know, who's very highly rated. It didn't work out for him at Bristol City, but he's a manager who I think will go to England again in the near future, and it'll be interesting to see how he gets on second time round. Yeah, I, I've got nothing but but good words for Derek. He, he again gave me an opportunity to kind of prove myself, believed in my ability, believed what I could do, um, and and gave me the chance to to show people that. Um, like chucked me in the deep end against Celtic, uh, done all right, scored the winner, great result, and you know I carried on playing and, and scored some goals. And he was a great manager day to day. Again, someone who you could approach, someone you could have. A bit of a laugh with but at the same time if you stepped out of line you'd know, you'd know about it and I think a lot of the players had the respect for Derek and and the team uh, around him and I think that makes a, that makes a huge difference and going forward yeah I would like to see him down in England because I think a lot of the players would respect him get on well and I, I think he would be quite successful down here as well. Two players you played with who very big reputations um, you played with Kerry McLean now at Norwich and also Ryan Jack who's at Rangers just what were they like as players? Yeah well you could tell early on that Kenny had had some really good ability you could you could tell he was going to go forward um, he was great in my in my time that, that I was there um, Kenny was a, was a huge player and uh, he was consistent I think that was the biggest thing and going back to your previous question about did I realise about how good the standard was and standard of players? Yes, you can you can one day play against Celtic, Celtic Park and the next week you're playing at Inverness away and it's it's, it's a bit different. But um, <clears throat> there's some really, really good players in the league. And like I said, Kenny was 
was straight away someone who I identified to have really good ability and who could who could make the transition down south and, and play there. Ryan as well. Ryan was held in in such high regards from from Aberdeen and, and the fans, and you could tell from his performances as well and how he was as a as a young captain. Um, you could tell he he was set up to to go forward and. You know, it's such a good mixture of, of players in the squad of young, inexperienced, but also experienced and, and hungry and, and at the same time very talented as well. You, you, the, the talented squad obviously finished runners-up to Celtic in the end. You, this is a question I'm desperate to ask you, and I'm sure Aberdeen fans will want me to ask you as well. You came up here and you scored goals for Aberdeen. Ultimately, in the end, why didn't you stay permanently? Um... I don't well, after after Aberdeen, um the season ended, I, I went back home for a couple of days and then obviously we went off to the Euros and um what happened with the Euros uh, w- was great, amazing. Um and at the time I kind of wanted a new change. Uh, I had a lot of kind of uh interest from, from outside of it. You know, I'd done I had my experience in Scotland, I had my experience for a long time in the Championship. I just wanted something a bit fresh. Um, I had interest from, from Australia, um, Russia, Belgium. And I, and I had to go back to MK Dons, uh, who got relegated from the Championship. So I was trying to put that off for as long as possible. I only got 10 days off that summer. Um, and they were trying to force my hand to stay in, in League One. And from, an, from, from early on, I said I had no interest in staying at MK Dons. Um, unfortunately, there was, again, a lot of politics behind everything, which stopped me moving forward on a few, um, a few clubs. MK Dons wanted players in before I could go out. And it broke down a lot of negotiations because there weren't players screaming out to come to AK Dons because of how badly they were doing and also budgets they cut the budget so it was difficult one for me to leave um was there a strong enough interest from Aberdeen probably not as strong as what people thought um would I have gone there I don't know it depends I, I was desperate to go and play internationally and and Holland came up. I knew the manager. He he was assistant manager at uh, Waves, well, one a part of the coaching staff at Reading when I was at Reading, and he he appreciated what I was doing when you know the way, the levels I was training by myself and when when the bad times were there, how how strong I was mentally. Um, he tried getting me at Panathinaikos when he was manager at Panathinaikos a few times. Um, so yeah, I thought, you know what, I know I know the manager. It's a it's a great opportunity for me to go to a different different country, a footballing country, um, experience different things. You know, uh, in Holland, you, the strikers always do well in Europe. After if they score a couple of goals, the opportunities are there for them in Europe, and that's kind of the 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 route I wanted to take. I I felt like I'd run my run my time in the Championship. Did I enjoy it? No. Was I enjoying football at the time? No, I wasn't. Apart from after the Euros, where it kind of gave me a spark to think, right, I want more of this. I want to achieve big things. And for me to go and achieve big things was to get out of the country and, and go and experience something else. 
the desire to experience something else is something I admire in you because I think lots of British players are now making that step to go abroad now and more so in recent years, which is great to see. When you get to Holland, what was it like? How did the changing room differ to a British changing room? How did the, the culture differ? Just, just describe the whole experience because not many players um, will have played in Holland in particular and not many will have spoken about it as well. Yeah, I mean, it was complete. Uh, like I said, the, the club looked after me again um, with everything set up. I had a really nice apartment in the, in the middle of town um, in Maastricht, which was a really nice area. First couple of days, <laughs> it, was, it was hard to kind of get my personality across where, you know, everyone's in clicks. Uh, you've got people from different countries speaking different languages. Um, it was difficult to, for me to get the banter that I kind of was used to in, in English football. There was, there was nowhere near as much banter. And if there was any banter going on, I wouldn't have a clue what's going on. Um, so it, it was tough. It was tough, but I think the players um, bought into me straight away. I didn't have to prove too much. I think they could see early on that I was good enough to play, certainly in the league, and, and be the striker for them. But yeah, it was, it was tough. Um, initially because my family didn't move over uh they were quite they were really young at the time they just didn't adapt to living in, in Holland and yeah it was a tough time I was by myself a lot um which I don't mind it allowed me to focus on other things but um obviously the injury so early on after four games was was such a huge factor in, in me not not enjoying it and making the most of the experience we talked there about Holland at the start of this interview. We talked about the end of your career after playing in Holland, that you came back, you played at Scunthorpe, you played at Plymouth. Um, the injuries were a real issue. In terms of yourself, Simon, a lot of people will be interested to know this. You retire quite young. What have you been up to since football and how have you adapted to life after football? Because you said earlier that you still miss the camaraderie of it all. Yeah, I, I think it's it's um, it's a good question, and a lot of people will probably wonder what what it's like to make the transition. And for me, the transition came within a day, where I, I went to the surgeon and we spoke with the surgeon. The surgeon basically said you need to stop playing football. And after that day, kind of the realization that I'm not going to play football, it, it had a toll on me for a good three three four months, where you know, I'd, I'd go back home, which which was great. The first the first week or two, where I was back with the kids, I hadn't been at home. We stayed in the same home for a number of years, and it was nice for me to be back and around that. But at the same time, there was a lot of anxiety. What am I going to do? Um, what am I going to do for the rest of my life? My my life basically starts at twenty nine. Um, luckily for me, I, I always had an interest in in property, interest in business. While I was on away trips, I'd read books, which I, which some people would would uh, give me a bit banner about. Um, but yeah, I mean, I was always interested in other things after football because I knew that this was not going to last. Um, nevertheless, it's still it's still hard now. I think I've I've just come up to two years cut being out of the game. Um, certainly, having other interests and businesses and and, and things have, have eased the pain slightly. But you're not gonna you're not gonna replicate the feeling of walking out in front of 
30, 40,000 people scoring a goal or going in every day and having having a laugh and, and bad. it's impossible to do that. So you can see why so many players come out the game and, and struggle mentally or struggle with um, alcohol, gambling, divorce. It's, it's such a huge transition transition because this is something you've been doing and, and regimented all your life. And once you come out of it, if you don't have anything in place, the anxiety of thinking, what am I going to do for the rest of my life is, is something that, that will eat people up. Absolutely. And in terms of the mental side of it, Simon, has it been tough for you mentally since retiring from football at points? Or are you, are you able to now just, although you miss it, adapt and, 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 and get on with your, your, your new life rather than, than dwell on the football career? Yeah, I mean, it's, it's impossible at times to, you know, when you're watching your mates on the telly or watching Wales, it's impossible not to to feel some sort of regret or 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 anything negative towards it because you miss it. I'm still young enough to sh- I should be playing. I should be in my prime at the moment. Um, as I said before, you just miss that daily interaction with with the boys, the the training. I used to love training. Um, just playing football and and the match days, the match days are the hardest. Like Saturdays now, we normally go for go for a walk or we take my daughter to golf or something like that. Um, so life has completely changed and mentally it's tough. I don't I don't think I'll ever get over it um, fully because it's nice to look back and when you you know I have still have have people send me stuff, goals or pictures or whatever. And it's nice to look back and I don't think until you've come out of football and you look back, you realise, you know, what you achieved. But then at the same time, you think, could I have achieved more? What what could I be doing now? And it's, it's difficult. It's difficult to say, you know, I'm, I'll, I'll get over it because you won't. And for anyone to say, oh, I've transitioned easy. It's, it's easy. It doesn't affect me. I've got other things going on. Oh, there'll be a liar for sure. I'd like to finish, Simon, with around the quickfire questions. You've spoken so far about your career in football. You've spoken about life after football, international, um, successful Wales. You've spoken about playing, obviously, in Holland, Scotland, England. So thank you very much for that. The first question I've got, who would you say are the best players you've played with? Oh, by far, Gareth. Um, Gareth and Gareth and Aaron. To be playing with those two, I mean, Aaron is, is a real talent, um, you know, a bit of a scapegoat at Arsenal, but it's sorely missed now. Um, and he's been doing that for years. Gareth Bale, for sure, is, is one of the best players I've ever played with. I've seen him turn, in, turn games on its head in in seconds. And it's the, it's the things you don't see as well, the things on the training ground where we have all just stood there, looked around and thought, how has he done that? And you know, I've, like I said, he's he's won games on his uh, by by himself by doing some things that you know only a handful of people could do. What's he like in training? Because to be that to be world class, you must have to work incredibly hard, and as well as having the talent. What's his dedication like on the training field? Yeah, he's he's a, he's a very good trainer, and you can see that. You know, every time he gets the ball. You don't, you don't want to go one-on-one against him because you know what he's going to do. He's going to cut in on his left. He's not going to use his right, but you can't stop him. 
and yeah, he's a he's a very good trainer. He's very professional. Keeps himself to himself. He's you know he does a lot of work off the pitch on his body and making sure that you know he tries to keep on top of his his injuries and his niggles and you know he's got specialists that works with him and yeah he's he's a he's a great guy but also a very very professional trainer and he deserves what he gets because some of the stuff that he's produced in 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 games especially in games that I play with has just been incredible best player you've played against uh best player I played against played against Ronaldo and and things like that, which in the grand scheme of things he would be the best player I've, I've played against but in terms of actually dominating the game would be Luka Modric. I played against him a few times, Croatia, and he has absolutely run the show every single time. In terms of um, teammates, we've talked about best for, best against. Who would you say is the most underrated teammate you had? Joe Allen, by far. Joe Allen is such a good player. Um, from, from, young, from, from a young age, in the under-21s, when he was coming for at Swansea, you could just see that he had, you know, such good ability, such good awareness, and especially for someone of his height and his stature, to be so good on the ball and to influence games as much as he did, especially for Wales. Um, he, he was a huge unsung hero for, for the Euros and the qualifiers. And, you know, he's been so consistent. Um, uh, could he have made more of his Liverpool career? I think I think so, but people forget how many games he actually played for Liverpool, and and the season that they nearly missed out, he was again a vital part of that. So I think yeah, because he's not he's not allowed or he's not flash or you never see him in the press. People people do forget about him sometimes. Absolutely, and I must say, in terms of that question, that's a question that a lot of people normally have to think over, but. You were very quick in there, which I'm I'm delighted about. Um, best manager of your career for yourself? Probably Chris Coleman for me, um, just because how how he was uh, with myself the whole time I was with Wales. We had a good good relationship. I always forget. Uh, well, I'll never forget. Um, just before the first game at the Euros, he pulls me in and he, and he says, "Look." Uh, I appreciate what you've done for me. You're always here. You always turn up. You're always working hard. So I'll, I'll give you a chance, but I'm not. I'm not going to start you this game because I'm going to play Gareth up front. I just laughed. I just said that, that's my worries. But he stuck to his word. He gave me my ch- my chance uh, to play in the Euros. Uh, I played twice, and just him as a man manager. That's what he was great at. The players bought into him. They would run through brick walls for him. Um, but he he was certainly he was certainly the best one that uh, for me. But also Brett Brendan was was great for me as well. Brendan is great as well, and two great two really great managers you've chosen there too. Um, a few non-football ones for you now: uh, Beach Holiday or City Break? Uh, Beach Holiday. Favorite band? Oh, I don't know. My favourite band. I don't, I'm, I'm more of a podcast. I don't really listen to music that much. Podcast, I am. Fair play. Sounds good. Um, <laughs> in terms of your favourite podcast, what would you say is your favourite one at the moment? Oh, I love Joe Rogan. That, is, that one is he's just so popular in terms of 
covers so many different things, absolutely. Um, so, oh. no, good, good answer. Um, other ones I've got, favourite film? Uh, favourite film is... Uh, oh, you put me on the spot, yeah? Uh, Wolf of Wall Street. Oh, great choice. Favourite sport outside of football? Golf. Favourite sport. Favourite sportsman outside of football? Uh, after seeing after seeing the documentary, it's got to be Michael Jordan. Oh, brilliant! How good was that documentary? Oh, that. Do you know what? I, I, it it brings back it brings back like good feelings because you know what it what it takes, and he's just on the elite level of. You know, he's just above everyone else and he's untouchable, but that's down to, you know, what he's put into it as well. Absolutely. The dedication as well is, is sensational. Um, last three questions I've got for you. Um, some of them will go back to being football um, related at the moment. What advice would you give any young footballer listening to this? I'll just say enjoy it. Enjoy it as much as you can because, uh, I, I probably didn't enjoy it as much as I can or, or made the most of the situations that I was in because of, you know, everything else. Politics right, uh, took away the enjoyment for me and, and now I can't play it anymore. I think it's just, yeah, just enjoying the moments, enjoying, enjoying the games and, yeah, it, it put no pressure on yourself. Yeah. The like that that idea of of not putting pressure on yourself and enjoying the game, I think, is very important, especially for the young players coming through now. Because if they're blinded by the money, then when they don't earn that money, it can be really tough mentally, um, as well as physically, because they can they can give up quite quickly. So that's a very good point. Last second last question is: If you could play for any manager in world football now, who would it be and why? Um, good question. Probably be. Eddie Howe, because going back to what I was saying about it's quite simple to to create a successful team as a manager. You just need to be a good man manager. And I I feel like the players buy into him and the relationship he has with the players allow them to overachieve every single year. So I think I think it's only a matter of time before he gets a, a bigger a bigger club for sure. I've now got to put you on the spot. And ask you the, the million dollar question. <laughs> you've got to pick a five aside team for the players you've played with. Who's going to be in it and why? Well, the players I played with. Um, oh, we'll start, okay, we'll start in goal. I'll go with Adam Federici. Because even though he's probably not one of the bigger players, when we when we won the championship for Reading, he was unbelievable. His distribution, his kicking, his, the moments that he saved us was, was unbelievable. I think he, again, he's another he's another player that probably hasn't achieved what what he should have achieved. Um, so he would be my goalkeeper. Five aside, centre half would be Ashley Williams for sure. Um, you, you don't get a, the way he led us as a captain and his performances especially for Wales over a number of years have, uh, haven't been matched to be honest so for me it would be it would be Ashley Williams and probably another defender would be 
Um, probably my mate Alex Pierce, captain of Millwall. He's got one of the biggest heads I've ever seen. You do not <laughs> want to mess. With, <laughs> you do not want to mess with him. He, he's like very professional. Um, gets the best out of you, and yeah, those two as a pairing would be horrible to play against. Um, two midfielders, Joey Allen, um, for reasons I mentioned before. Uh, Aaron Ramsey again, he'd unlock a load of a load of uh, defensive chipping with a few goals, um, and then yeah, up front it would have to be Gareth. Uh, for, for, for obvious reasons. I was about to say that. In terms of when you name Gareth Bale in your team, then I, nobody can argue with that. Absolutely. Simon, it's been a pleasure. Thank you so much. No worries at all. Thank you. So we'll dive down to the ocean And we'll make our home in a deep sea cave And our shells will all be open They'll be filled with song They'll be filled with song Dive down to the ocean And we'll make her home in a deep sea cave And our shells will all be open They'll be filled with song, they'll be 